Hi and welcome to Personal Finance with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need, especially right now as we take tentative steps away from the grip of the coronavirus pandemic. On our first podcast last time, we looked at redundancy and how to make the best of that situation with regard to your finances, because it's not the end of the world, far from it. Loads you can do to help yourself if you find you're in that situation. If you are, but you haven't heard that podcast yet, I would urge you to take a listen ASAP wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please remember to rate us and subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode again. Today, uh, we're talking financial planning for those with young or growing families. And the very first thing that crosses my mind when you're talking about that subject, Phil, is that with everything you have to plan for when you're having a baby, whether it's your first or your 10th, things will grow more complicated. Probably the last thing on your mind is financial planning. I'm guessing you're going to tell me that we should be giving it more precedence. Definitely. I, I, I tell you, I'm very experienced with that as well because I've got six <laughs> boys myself. So I'm the man to speak to you about the financial planning for young families, that's for sure. Okay, so where do we start? What type of thing are we talking about? Presumably it's far more than just trying to save a little each week for a rainy day or, or the Christmas club book. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say... Often the, the cornerstone of financial planning is, is what's called protection. Um, now, protection would cover things like life insurance, critical illness cover, income protection, like protecting you and your family. That, that's kind of like the, that is, that's often seen as a cornerstone of, of financial planning. Yeah, and those are all to, to try and sort of negate the impact or reduce the impact on your family from the likes of losing a parent or uh, the parent suddenly becoming unable to work or losing that job, a safety net for the family in those types of instances. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like protection is, um, there's a lot of different types of, of things. Some are straightforward, like life insurance, if, if someone dies, pays out a, a lump sum. Um, critical illness cover, if, if someone suffers a critical illness, it pays out a, a lump sum, depending on, on what they've been diagnosed with. Um, income protection would be one that covers your income if, if you are maybe incapacitated for some reason but there, there's so many different things that you can take out I mean even like life insurance for example there, there's so many different types you've got like level term decrease in term you've got um, one called family income benefit there, there's so many different things out there and, and that's that's when a good sort of financial advisor can sit down with clients and say right what, what's going to be most appropriate for your needs and um, I know having young family myself one, one of the first things I did was was arrange life cover thinking right if anything happened to me then I want my, my family to be protected I'm going to bring you up on on all of those terms that you just flashed by me there, the the lifetime and the decreasing cover and all of that. Um, Typically, and I know you're going to say it varies, I I guess, but how much of the types of cover are likely to cost per month from your budget and what do they pay out? Again, you'll tend to find life cover will be cheaper than, say, critical illness cover because the chances of someone dying is less than, I think you're about four times more likely to suffer a critical illness than, than die. Um, so critical illnesses would pay out with things like um, if you were diagnosed with cancer, heart attack, stroke, that, that's the sort of things that they tend to cover. So you are a lot more likely. So the cost of critical illness insurance will be 
higher than, than say, life cover. Um, I, there's a whole range of factors as well come into it because um, if someone's a bit older, they'll the, the premiums to cover them for life insurance is going to be more expensive than somebody that was maybe like a 20-year-old is going to be a lot less than someone that's, say, 50 because, again, the insurers will think, right, what's the risk of us paying out a, a claim? So smokers tend to be more expensive for, say, critical illness cover because, again, they're more likely to to make a claim but there's something to suit everyone's budget really and I mean like for for my own policies I pay out about £150 a month but then I've came across some folk that didn't have any cover and then others that'll think right I've got a small policy that maybe only costs 10 or 15 pounds a month and I I would always say something's better than nothing so that's that's definitely um, definitely something there as well but there is there's so many different types of cover um, levels of cover that you can go for and it's really try to get something that's as suitable to your circumstances as possible Okay, so rather than, than um, beat this one to death I'm going to say what you will which is contact a financial advisor because your circumstances are going to be completely different to somebody else's is and you've got to tailor that product Definitely. You, you've got different needs throughout life as well. So, like, to, to start with, if, if you're a single person, no dependents, life cover isn't so important. You might think, oh, I'd like to have someone to cover my funeral costs if I was to die because I, I wouldn't want my parents to have to pay for it or, or whatever. But um, once you start getting kids coming along... I know for me personally, I always wanted the peace of mind to think it's like yeah. if, if anything happens to me, yeah. that, that my income would, like if I was to die, you've got to think, right, that income is then gone. Or, or in fact, just as important for me as my, like my ex-partner, if anything happens to her, I, I've actually got, I, I pay a policy about 20 or 25 pounds a month to cover her for life insurance, where if she dies, that money comes to myself. And the reason I've got that is that if anything happened to her, I would need to stop or, or maybe they stop working, but take time off work. Um, so it's just as important to look at that type of situations as well. So it is, it's important everyone's circumstances are different. And like, as I say, there is so many different types of cover that people can take out. Just something on a, on a sort of personal note, you were talking about how um, what you need changes over time. Give an example on critical illness cover. Uh, my wife is unable to work and registered disabled now. Uh, because of a condition which is known as functional neurological disorder, which presents in a similar fashion to the likes of MS, but is distinctive from MS in a number of ways. But that's only become apparent to the medical world in, say, the last 10 to 15 years. So our policy for life insurance and critical illness, which is fairly standard, and one we've had from preceding her diagnosis, it isn't something that was covered back then it would probably have been diagnosed as MS, ironically, uh, which was. But the scheduling of it all has kind of snookered us from getting any kind of payout. So I guess what I'm saying is it probably pays to check up on the wording of your plan from time to time as well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, and what you'll find is that policies change kind of over time. Like the, the, the definitions of, of things that's covered maybe on old policies will differ from, from new policies. Um, so that, that's an important thing that we check. My, my financial advice business, what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll sort of look at the, like the wording on the policies, exactly what is covered. We, we use a tool called CI Expert for, for critical illness policies, and it's excellent. Um, you can really drill down and see, right, what's covered, what's the definitions. Um, because people are worried that, like, when you take out cover, 
you wanted to pay out, you didn't want to, the insurers to turn around and say, oh, sorry, that's not covered. Yeah. And um, So it's like I, I've had clients with, with claims for different things before and some of they, they'll the, the companies will maybe write to the GP to find out from them exactly um, what uh, the conditions are. But it is important. There's so much ins and outs of it. And again, that, that's where a good financial planner can look at things and say, right, what cover have you got already? Or if you've no cover, what's going to suit your needs best? Uh, and do these types of cover um, only pay out dependent on the health of the parent or guardian? I mean, what about if, God forbid, one of your kids is ill or has a condition that means you have to give up work and be with them full time? You tend to find quite a number of policies will automatically include what's called children's cover. Now, so so for example, on, on my critical illness policy, if if any of my kids suffered a critical illness, it'll pay out a cash sum on there. Now, I, I had a look at statistics. Legal in general are, are quite a big insurance company. 2019, their average payout on a children's critical illness claim was 15,182. Now, what, what happens there is if the kids suffer a critical illness, on a lot of policies, that will automatically be included. But you tend to find a lot of parents don't know that, that that's in there as well. A lot of companies now as well let you take out enhanced cover. So, um, again, just using legal in general as an example, they, under a, just a normal critical illness policy, your kid would be covered for 31 different conditions where they pay out an amount there um, but they, they've also now got what's called critical illness extra cover for, for the children and that covers 76 different conditions so again the, the policies are changing all the time and that's why it's good to, to kind of sit down with an advisor um, if you go on different comparison websites they're just going to say right put in your details cheapest cover is x y or z whereas cheapest isn't always the best it's like i know for me I, i'll pay extra to get a really good policy because i've got the kids and i think yeah i want one that includes like maybe not only the, the standard children's cover but i want ones that's maybe going to pay out a bit more should anything happen like to to the, the boys so it is it, it's a good thing to, to sit down and review from time to time and is that a sort of fairly standard thing now whereby you'll have the basic and levels of bolt-on to just about pretty much any any policy? It is. I mean, you, you tend to find a lot of the insurers have got the, this what's called the Association of British Insurers, the ABI. So a lot of the, especially on critical illness cover, they, they've got standard definitions that they've got to cover. But what, what you're finding now is that a lot of the companies will also now add on extra things. So it makes it harder for, for a financial advisor to compare the policies, but with, with the tools that we've got at our disposal, we can look at all the different things and say, right, who's got the best cover? What's the cost? I suppose a wee bit like car insurance. Like you, you might go with the cheapest, but then the excess might be high or they maybe don't cover you for certain things. And um, I'll tell you, the, the, the insurers are making the things a lot harder to compare but then at the end of the day they te they're tending to cover people for more things which is a good thing and that's where a good advisor can sit down and say right what's your circumstances and what do we want to cover here and just to, to clarify this an advisor is acting independently uh to help you get your best policy they're not acting on behalf of the policy giver for instance that's right i mean you'll find you, you get 
there's some financial advisors that are like tied representatives. So, for example, I'm coming back to legal in general again. There used to be some advisors that were maybe tied, like if maybe, tended to be more so ones that worked at different banks, but the, that bank would maybe be tied to say legal in general, or you would maybe get some financial advisors that would be tied to them, so they could only deal with with their products. But you tend to find most advisors will have either a panel that they work with or an independent financial advisor has got access to the, the whole marketplace. So what, what they're doing is saying, right, let's look at your circumstances and find the best insurers, whether that would be Zurich, Prudential, Aviva, legal in general. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen some of the guys that work for myself in my financial advice business. I've seen them recommending companies that folk would never have even probably have heard of in the, the past. But they, there is, there, there's so many different insurers out there, so many different types of policies. And that, that's where an independent advisor would look at the client's needs and say, right, we'll find the best things to, to, to satisfy your needs out there. I never knew it was such a, a vast sort of area of experience. Here's something else I, that I didn't know. Um, simply down to the fact that my own life's rolled out this way, but but having kids impacts on how much you can borrow on a mortgage now i'm assuming that means if you're going for a mortgage with kids already there or does the lender address that issue if you're about to renew your mortgage as well so say you you were uh, single or you you were married but you don't have any kids and then later on you go to renew your mortgage and you do have two kids in place does it impact you then as well i i mean like that's the the way that I mean, years ago, the lenders used to just say, right, you earn X amount per year, multiply that by a certain figure, and bang, that's how much you can, can borrow. But now they tend to do it a lot more on an, an affordability basis. So having kids definitely impacts your, your mortgage because let's say if you've got a family with, or a couple with, with no kids, they're outgoings are going to be a lot less than somebody that has got, say, two or three kids because, again, I know that the kids have got different like activities that they like to do. They've got to be clothed, fed. Um, so what mortgage lenders will do is they'll look at things and say, right, how many kids do, this is in that family? Um, they'll also look at things like how a is it just one parent? Is it two parents? So they, they'll take all of that sort of things into account as well. But yeah, the, the affordability in a mortgage when, when you have children, I mean, your, your outgoings tend to rise. So that is impacted. So again, that's a good time to, like whenever mortgage advisors are speaking to people, they're not only looking at their circumstances now, but they're asking them some questions about, right, what's your, uh, how do you see things looking in a couple of years' time? Do you have plans for children and um, because that all impacts it going forward as well mm-hmm. either way kids are going to eat into your wealth literally simply virtue of being another mouth to feed for starters the bank of mum and dad is not a myth <laughs> and we're not allowed to send them up chimneys either see if we can earn some of that <laughs> cash back uh, the day-to-day running costs for your household increase what can we do to help recoup some of that money going out is there anything you're potentially entitled to might not be claiming yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing when you have kids. Um, you, you've got things like child benefits. So for, for the first child, you get £21.05 per week for the, the oldest one. Um, and then for any subsequent children, it's £13.95. So if you've got two kids, um, just quickly do my sums here. So two children works out at £35 a month you're getting there. But if you earn, if one of the parents earns over £50,000, you lose that benefit. So so that's one that's only payable to, to people who are 
earning 50,000 and less. But another thing with that is you could have a couple where each of them earn, let's say, 48,000 each. Um, so they've got a total of, what would that be, 96,000 coming in a year. They would still qualify for it. Whereas if you've got one, like say the mum's not working and the dad's taking in 52,000 a year, you wouldn't qualify for it. So I, that's one of the kind of, the anomalies around the, the rules there, but um, for the for most people, they're going to qualify for child benefit. Let's say um, my household earns just that little bit more than the qualifying income, but not really enough to make a significant difference to to our existence. So, like you say, the the fifty two, if you like, yeah. anything you can do to sort of get us back under the threshold so we do qualify. There is. I mean, that, that's one of the good things there is that you, you can pay money into a pension. So on, on that situation, so I'm saying, let's say you've got somebody, two kids, they would get £35 a week, um, which over the course of a year is 1820 Now, if, if you were on a salary of, let's say, 52000 what you can do is you can pay couple of thousand pounds into that pension, reduce it back under the 50,000, you would then qualify. So, so in effect, if somebody was earning, like say 51,000, paid more than a thousand pounds into their pension, they're actually better off in, in that circumstances. So again, that's the sort of things that financial advisors would cover with, with people, but not a lot of folk would know that they can do things like that. So oh, crazy. I've seen some folk earning even right up to say, 60,000 and slightly even a wee bit more than that thinking right what can we do to maybe get some of that benefits back um, I mentioned about like child benefit being one but in, in the past you used to get there there was like tax credits you had child tax credits working tax credits they're, they're all being phased out just now with, with what's called universal credit so there, there may be other things that you can claim as well and I, I would always recommend to people looking at um, maybe speaking to the, the local benefit agencies. I know there's calculators online that you can use to see if you're entitled to, to any of that sort of things as well. But um, it is, it's good to look at like any extra benefits and, and money that you can get from places. And what happens if our, if our circumstances change either way? Say one parent loses a job or has to give up work. Does that mean the benefits increase? It's, I mean, there, if... If, for example, one parent was not working, I mean, that overall, your income comes down. So that, that would be a case where if you were getting, let's say, the universal credit or the old system was the, the tax credits, um, if the whole income goes down, that may entitle you to more. So definitely worth checking out if, if that was the case to see if there's any more that you can get. And presumably you have to declare if you no longer meet the qualifying threshold as well. Say if mum returns to, to full-time work after maternity leave or whatever, something similar like that. Yeah, it's good to, I, I would always recommend to people to notify them if, if there's a change in circumstances. I know, like under the old tax credit system, it, it was always really designed to kind of almost overpay people. Um, and I, I used to come across a lot of folk that had to pay money back. And so, for example, if, if you thought, oh, my earnings this year is going to go up quite a bit, it is best to sort of say to them, look, I think this is going to happen. They, they can actually then look at that so that you don't have to pay money back and things as well. So, um, yeah, definitely good to, to keep them up to date with any changes in, in circumstances. Uh, just about every movie I've ever seen of the characters are, are struggling financially. They end up dipping into the college fund, that cash that they've been setting aside as a lump sum for their, their child's financial future. Presumably, if you can put a bit aside for your kids, it's a good thing to do, certainly for their future. But depending on how you set it up, are there any added benefits, for example, tax-wise? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do if you want to save for the, the kids for, for their future. Probably the most popular thing would be you've got what's called junior ISAs. In the past, you used to have child trust funds. You can just set up a, like a children's account at the, the bank or building society. But unfortunately, at the minute, the interest rates are, are really poor on that just now. Um, granny and granda can get involved as well if they want to leave something for grandkids. So far as uh, as junior ices are concerned, grandparents, they can't set that one up officially, can they, unless they're the legal guardian? No, that's right. Kids. I mean, they, it, it, only parents can set up a junior ISA for the current tax year, so the, the 2020 to 21 tax year, um, you're allowed £9,000 you can put into a, a junior ISA. So you've got quite a bit of leeway there for, for most people. Only the parents can can open that. You can only have one. I'll touch on that in just a, a moment or two as well. But you, you've got a couple of different types of, of junior ISA as well. It, it's only the parents that can set it up. But once it is set up, grandparents can pay into that as well. Just to recap on what an ISA actually is, in case you've never heard of it, my recollection, as it have one years and years ago, um, is that it's a, a way of investing up to a certain sum tax-free every year. The money that you pay in, can sometimes make you money depending on where it's invested. That's right. You've got, so the ISA, I know that, that's one thing, being in like the financial services industry, we use a lot of like acronyms and, uh, and things like that. And it is, ISA stands for Individual Savings Account. So that, that account belongs to the person that holds it. So in the case of a junior ISA, it's a child that owns that money. Um, that's one of the downsides with junior ISAs is that they, they can access it once they turn 18. And right. I know when I'm 18, I, I'd have been thinking, right, give me this money, I'll be down. Straight through it. <laughs> no, no. I actually get some parents in, in that, that think, I don't want to pay into that. I'd rather pay into like a separate savings account. But the main advantage with an ISA, uh, so an individual savings account, whether it's for a, an individual or the junior ISAs for the, the kids, any gains that you make and profits on that, you don't pay any tax on. And um, that, that's an important factor. So that's probably why that's the most important thing. But as I say, you've got the, the children can access that in the future. So, um, I mean, some people will think, right, that could be the money for their first car or to help them with a deposit in a house. But mm-hmm. um, you've got to do your trust Instead, they spend it raving all over Europe, yeah. I know. I mean, I've got a, I have a stepson who's 18, and he's a bit of a nightmare. He's writing these cars, and I mean, with him, he, I, I've actually got money in an account for him that he doesn't know about, but it's, if it was in an ISA, he would have access to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he would blow it. So I, I kind of, it is, I mean, he would either blow it down at the pub or he'd blow it on a car. And, and uh, for me, I think I'd rather keep that money where maybe one day he'll want to use some of that as a deposit on a house. So it is, uh, there's lots of different scenarios and permutations come up. So the, the junior ISA, when you get to 18, it becomes a standard everyday ISA then, presumably. Yeah, and then they, as I say, they've got access to it at that point in time. So there's, there's lots of different options that out there. Um, I mentioned as well, you've got a couple of different types of junior ISA. You've got the, the cash ISA, which is just really like a, a generally a bank or a building society account. The money's just held in cash on deposit. You've also got the what's called a stocks and shares junior ISA or some people maybe call it an investment ISA. Now with, with that ones you can invest in a lot of different areas but generally the money will maybe go into say the stock market 
And the theory is that over a long period of time, that should grow at a good rate or, or certainly... I mean, the interest rates for cash deposits at the minute are, are next to nothing. And um, The only thing with the stocks and shares ISA is there's more risk. So if you're putting money into that, you might think, right, I'm a happy to take risks. A lot of people would look at it and think, yeah, that money's away for the longer term. So if you've got a baby that's just been born, um, you might think, right, I want to pay an amount in regularly. You might think I've got couple of thousand pounds I want to start off putting putting that in. Um, another good thing about paying in regularly is you've got what's called pound cost averaging. So you're buying in, like for example, the stock market is going up and down all the time. Um, and, and on there, you're buying in at different points. You're sometimes buying in when it's up a little bit, down a little bit. And that takes a, a wee bit of the risk out of things as well. So um, one, one important thing with the, the ISAs, so you've got like the cash or the stocks and shares. On the junior ISAs, they can only have one, so they can't have a, a combination of the, the two as well. Certainly, um, from, from what I remember, in terms of the one that you're saying, stocks and shares there, um, you're, the, the person who's in charge of investing your money will say maybe put it into three different things, two of which are, are generally regarded as, as maybe bankers. And the third might be the one that will make you money, it might lose you a little bit of money it yeah. be in the Asian market, something like that. But, um, you know, the majority of your money is, is safe as houses. I'd say you've got, even on a stocks and shares ISA, you've got like, you might have somebody still a wee bit more cautious. So you might pick funds there that, are designed for for folk that don't want to see things fluctuating so much. You you can then get people that are maybe a bit more what we would class as balanced or speculative. It's different different financial planners would use different terms for it, but there is there's something for everyone out there. Whether it be someone that is just I mean I always say like there's no such thing really as no risk because if you've got your money in, let's say just in a cash account and it's paying you. 1% interest. If inflation was 2%, in real terms, you're actually losing out. So you've got inflation risk. So there's there's always risk with, with that somewhere. Just on the on the subject of uh, the likes of ISAs, um, there's a chance uh, inheritance tax can affect the amount your grandchildren would receive, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, like if, if someone had was over the, like, let's say grandparents were over the inheritance tax limit and they wanted to, to leave money for, like, the grandkids or kids. Again, it's important to do planning for that because um, if they get popped with inheritance tax, that can reduce what they pass on to, to subsequent generations. So definitely if anyone over the inheritance tax threshold, um, definitely worth speaking to an advisor to, to look at that as well. Um, other ways of helping kids or grandkids, if you've got a bit of money to invest, premium bonds. It sounds like something from wartime, but it's been around for a while, but, but it's still potentially worthwhile, Phil? It is. I, I, put a, I, I did a wee clip on LinkedIn just the other day on premium bonds. And I know when I was born, I, I got some as a gift. I've never won. I, I couldn't even tell you how much of them I've got. I did think it's a very big value, but I, there was somebody actually commented on my post saying they, they, they had one, I think their one was worth a pound. You didn't even get, I think the minimum now is about is it 25 pounds. I should really check up on that, but um, they, they had one that was valued at a pound and I think they won 50. So that was a decent return. Not a bad return. And um, if you're thinking really long-term, you, you can even set up a pension for your grandchild, can't you? 
Definitely, that's it. I mean, ev- everyone is allowed to, to pay in £3,600 a year into a pension and you get tax relief on that. So you can pay £2,880 in and then you get tax relief, which brings it up to £3,600. Um, some people will pay in the full amount, but the, the earlier you start, the better. And then you've got like compounding. So, so if someone... Let's say a grandchild or a parent set up a pension for their kids straight away. By the time they get to 18, if that's growing over the time and even paying in small amounts, it'll kind of add up there. So, yeah, you can pay in a pension and and they can get tax relief on that contributions, which bumps it up straight away as well. If you're sitting there thinking this sounds all too complicated for me, one, obviously contact a financial advisor. But what about just giving cash as as a gift and a lump sum? What are the guidelines there? For, for most people, there, there, it's not going to be an issue. Again, it only becomes a problem if someone is over the inheritance tax threshold. So that, that's where you can sort of have issues there. But for, for the majority of people, they can give gifts away without it causing much problems at all. Of course, this, this could all be for not, if you end up uh, not being able to afford it, you might not think about having to pay for it for long-term care for yourself when you set out this kind of thing with the best of intentions. What should your checklist be before you, you set up any kind of payment for your grandkids? I would say, like, you, you can also look at things like trusts um, or making sure that it's affordable is, is certainly something. I mean, if you're giving any money away, it, like if, if you were a grandparent paying money into like a, a children's ISA or even a parent as well. I mean, that money's then away until they, they reach the age of um, usually 18. So paying that money in, you've got to think, right, can we afford to give that up? Well, is that money I'll need in the future? Um, so there, there's a lot of factors to, to take into account as well. I was about to touch on uh, sort of trusts. I mean, yeah. it, it was a grandparent that had an inheritance tax liability. They can look at giving money away through various trusts and things, but that one becomes a, a lot more complex. And again, that's where you want to be taking advice on, on that as well um, i mentioned the movies talking about saving up for that college fund but realistically it, it might be something you want to consider if you're able either school fees uh, saving for further education or, or both anything handy with regards to that in terms of advice yeah i mean we, we get clients looking at they, they might think oh, i want to put my kids to private school or i would like them to go to university i suppose that's one good thing in, in scotland now is that you don't have the the university fee the yeah. tuition fees um Again, they still have living costs when they go to university. So you, you may think, I mean, like, I, I don't know, let's say you've got young kids just starting out. You, you might have big plans for them and say, oh, I would like them to go to, like, Robert Gordon's or Albine or, uh, in our area. But I know the fees for that, I think Robert Gordon's is around about £1,000 a month. So if, if you want your kids to go there to either primary school or secondary school, unless you've got a lump sum and a wad of money, you, you, if, if that's what you really want for them, you're going to have to start saving mm-hmm. very early for, for that sort of eventualities. And um, I know a lot of parents have got aspirations for their kids to go to uni. And like I say, you've got costs for that, like accommodation. They might not stay at home. And so there, there's a lot of kind of planning. And again, that, that's where like a good, financial advisor can come in because they can help with your budgets now but they can also look at what your plans are for the future see what you're paying out for different things and and how much you need to pay for for things and say right look can you afford to put this amount away but and it's all really just down to, to the planning aspects of things 
We've been talking about finances for young or, or growing families. It may be that you, you don't come into money when you're young or you're starting out, but subsequently in later life, you maybe inherit a certain sum. Presumably there's never a situation where it's too late to invest in your family. No, not at all. I mean, I, I think, yeah, ideally, like you say, you want to do it an early, I mean, if you're going to save for them, you want to do it as early as you can, but it's not always possible because people, like generally your income tends to rise as you get older in life or get gone in life. And a, a lot of folk who are just starting out with young kids, it is a lot more difficult for them to, to kind of put money aside. And uh, that's maybe where the initial like needs are looking at things like protection. And if you're paying out money for life insurance and all that sort of things, you then think, oh, hang on, I didn't have the, the same like spare money that I can put away for savings and, and stuff. So it's, it's, it's sitting down with someone and, and looking at things and saying, right, what is the priorities here? And looking at all the, the different options available. And on to the, uh, the subject of wills, uh, we've got a very straightforward uh, will system in place whereby whichever of us, whoever of us dies first, leaves the rest to the other, and then it's split equally between our kids or to one or the other, dependent on their situation. And perhaps at some stage, we might have to change that in the event that we live to see and are blessed with grandkids. Uh, the point being, wills are hugely important, aren't they? What do we need to know about them? They are. I, it always amazes me how many people don't have a will. Um, and if you've got children, it becomes even more important um, for, for a number of factors. I mean, if anything was to happen to you, you would want everything to get sorted out as quickly as possible. So a will would do that. A will also means that who you want to inherit gets what you want. So so um, anybody that doesn't have a will, especially if you've got young family or family on the way, I, I would say that's something that gets sorted out as soon as possible. Um, and if you do have a will, making sure you update it regularly as well is, is another thing. It's actually not that expensive, is it, for, for wills? If it's a fairly straightforward will, it, it doesn't cost much at all. At all. I mean, you, you will get some, some solicitors' firms will do a free will, mm. but they're, they're a bit fly. The, the reason they do that is that they'll then think, right, we'll put ourselves down as the executives. So when you die, they sort everything out and they charge a big right. fee. Right, okay. <laughs> That's not why they do it. For nothing, but um, no, I mean, just to, to do a basic will, yeah, you might be like 50 to 100 pounds. Yeah. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. If your needs are a lot more complex, then it can be more work involved but it is it's something that doesn't cost a lot but I've, I've seen it before if someone dies without a will it can cause all sorts of issues and problems so especially if, if you're in the position where you've got young family or family on the way it's something you should really be looking into now last week when we looked at redundancy phil gave us a look back over his own life story and how being made redundant can sometimes be a catalyst for positive change, as it was in his case. And the message from Phil at that point was to be positive. I wonder if maybe uh, looking at today's episode where taking care of your family's financial planning is also something close to home, because you, you've got a brood of bouncing boys, don't you? I do, so, I've got six boys. <laughs> so planning for them must be high on your list um, for financial planning to, to take care of. It is, and I, I've been fortunate that over the years my income's gone up, but I've, I've been there before where... Like I haven't had so much coming in. I've got the kids and you're like, jeepers. Like the costs, especially in the early years, can be 
quite significant. You're having to buy maybe buggies. You're having to feed them. Um, I mean, like one one of the things my ex partner did was she she breastfed all the kids. So I mean, initially that saved a wee wee bit of money there. But then it is the the costs. I I know kids can be costly. I've got six boys, and they they all have different needs. They all have different things that they want to do. Like at the minute, my two oldest ones are heavily into the PlayStation and Jeepers, you've got the cost of games for stuff like that. It's just like, oh man, it, it yeah. is. You've got different costs in, yeah. in often. But I know in, in the early years for me, the big priority was like making sure I was protected, that if anything happened to me, they, they would be covered. I would have peace of mind for, for that. Now, my, my kind of goals, of, can, I've still got that. I mean, I've got all my protection policies still in, in place that I set up, but now I'm starting to think more in the future and it's like, right, should I be putting a wee bit more away for them? Um, the kids have got different savings accounts and it does, thing, things change over time as well. My circumstances change. I mean, you, you might have times where your income goes down, so you might think, oh, come on, stop doing this or that. And it is, there's so much planning around things when you've got young children. And I know you, you've always found inspiration through various people that you admire. You, you're the fan of an inspirational quote or two. Have you got one that, that kind of fits our, our subject today, a word or two of wisdom to take away from a podcast, focusing on financial aspects for young or growing families? Have you, my, the quote this week is from Abraham Lincoln, and it's, the, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So that, that's the quote this week. And, I think by planning, what was it? There's another quote, is it not like, um, pl- I failed to plan, plan to fail? That's yeah. like another yeah. well. There's two for, two for the price I won this week. But <laughs> it is, I, I think planning is something that helps you massively going forward. So I, I've always been big into like goal setting and having financial goals and having goals around the family because I know for me, like the better I plan, the better future my family is going to have and the more I can do with them in, in the future as well. Okay, so to summarise in this episode, finance for young or growing families, what are, the, what are the takeaway points? I would say probably the most important thing I, I would say for anyone with young family would be to make sure you're protected. Give yourself the peace of mind. So as I say, there's a lot of different types of policies you can look at, but to, to, to have that peace of mind as a parent, knowing that, if anything happened to you or if the worst happened that you, you've got something in place to kind of help out there it's important helping with budgets making plans that, that's all so i'd say that would probably be the, the key takeaways for me john now phil is uh, is really keen uh, trying to help you with your financial queries uh, if you want to email a question to us please feel free and as always we can ask them anonymously if you wish uh, if you want to get in touch, contact details coming up in just a second. I'm John Ellis. Thanks for joining us today for Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything that we've been talking about or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online and on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn as well. Or like I say, why not email Phil a question that he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. Uh, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. It will be in complete confidence. Uh, If you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please subscribe on Apple 
or wherever you get your podcast, then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. If you want to see Phil's lovely face, we have a video version as well, which you'll find on YouTube. You get all the links you need on Phil's social media, as I say. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you.